Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. That tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. All right, guys, we are back. I don't even know where to start because we had a super, super, super busy week. Um, let's just go in chronological order, shall we, Chuck? I am with my good friend, Mr. Chuck Bush. Hello, howdy, and what's going on? Another weird intro for me. Mr. Pit Road Boats and Woes Analyst, Ryan Flores. Hey there. And not in person nor on the Zoom today is our good friend, Mr. Ice Cold Blue Mountain Takes, Jonathan Merriman. <laughs> He's out. It's the three amigos today, Chuck. Ole. Man, I really, I really hate that the listeners are going to be missing out on some ice cold Blue Mountain takes today. But I'll, I'll do my best to give you a couple of cold, cold, cold takes. I might have the hottest take. Oh. And make sure when we're talking about next gen stuff to remind me. So, kickball. Let's talk about the stuff that's pressing. What the people really want to know about is the first annual kickball classic was a raging success. It exceeded my expectations by 20. Um, some of the concerns I had going in with the run of show, how we're going to do it, if people are going to have a good time, if we can get people from the main field outside to the other fields and back in on a timely fashion, where the celebrities going to have a good time, where people can get hurt. All of that happened, and it was great. So Ryan Flores was my star outfielder on the Built Ballers for the tournament, and then he – he tapped out in the championship game because his hamstring was getting a little sensitive, kind of like Christian McCaffrey. So we were able to hoist the hardware in the Corey LaJoy first annual kickball classic. Chuck, you guys were there. NASCAR Productions was streaming it. You guys had a booth set up, kind of like the MLB All-Star game for the Celebrity Game. It was just unbelievable, man. It was unbelievable. I want to I want to say first off that that – we walked away. I talked to Merriman. I mean, he and I were calling the game from the booth. And right after, we were like, this is the most fun I've had in a long time. And it was a, like, it was a cool experience. It was cool to, you can go and watch it on NASCAR's YouTube channel. The full replay is there. But I will say this, peeling the curtain back, weather played a little bit of an issue in getting that uh, championship game going and the all-star game going. We had everything planned out to where we were going to, you know, test everything out for our gear at like four and then we we're going to do a rehearsal at five during the championship game and then we we're going to come on the air at 5 45 and then we we're just going to casually roll into the all-star game having warmed up and done everything well rain and lightning put us in a hold so we couldn't get out there and rehearse and we went live at 5 45 and we went live brother dude no rehearsal for you guys to be buttoned up to have no hiccups with dude i'm telling you when it was raining it was a torrential downpour for about an hour we played for about half of it at like the semifinals we played track house which was pretty much all the ganassi pit crew guys and we fought them down tooth and wire until we got down to the bottom of the sixth inning and we were up to kick to try to tie the game and win it and the bottom dropped out so we timed out from the game we all took some cover and then those guys obviously pretty much 12 out of the 15 players on that team go over the wall on a Sunday afternoon. They elected to just to, to forfeit that game. So it was a little bit of a gift because they didn't want to slip and get injured, obviously, for a charity kickball team, which I totally understand. Unless you're Marty Smith. With put the 
built ballers into the main game. And we beat a team with two former Carolina Panthers on it. Kurt Coleman was a safety who truck sticked my brother on first base. My brother is a hefty gentleman. And he, he truck sticked them like he weighed a hundred pounds, like he was in the seventh grade uh, and put them on his ass. And it was awesome. Jonathan Stewart was a running back and we, we bared down Chuck and we got the job done. And it actually kind of worked out because the championship game got to be broadcast on NASCAR's YouTube, which wasn't the original plan. Nope. The celebrity all-star game got pushed back to about 6.15 and it was a hell of a day. We didn't get to do intros like we were planning on doing. We were kind of flying by the seat of our pants, but the feedback I got from the, the drivers who played, the competitors who played in the actual tournament, Austin Dillon, Ryan Blaney, Bubba, they were just talking about how cool of an event it was. So I just wanted to thank uh, Leanne on, on my side who pretty much crossed the T's and dotted all the I's, Philip from the YMCA, Everybody, everybody from the Canapolis Cannonballers, it took everybody to make that event something. And now that it's not just an idea anymore and it's actually a physical product, it's going to be so much bigger and so much better next year. I'm so excited to, if we keep it on the Wednesday before the Roval, which I think is a great spot for it, it will be October 5th next year. So go ahead and put that day in your calendar, ladies and gents, because it's happening. Well, and the big part about it was you were raising money for samaritan's feet and for the ymca so i mean i feel like overall there were a lot of fans there it seemed like so we sold 700 over 700 general admission tickets and there was about 300 players that weren't ticketed that played on the 16 teams total so there was over my goal was 100 grand and a thousand people and we were about 1100 people and we raised just over 100 grand so i think we can triple those numbers next year but just for this thing to be an idea six months ago to see what it was, I'll be honest, I was a little bit emotional because it was super cool to see everybody in the community, all my friends, family there uh, come out to support, uh, to your point, the YMCA and, and Samaritan's Feet. It was super cool. And it seemed like there was a little bit of FOMO for some people on social media who didn't get to see it. But now that we have some videos and photos that people could see and go back and watch, Ryan, what did you think about the first kickball class? It was great. You know, we're, we've obviously have a long history with kickball. I tweaked my hamstring when we were playing against Ganassi guys because I, I hit an absolute pipe of a double straight down the middle to ring two, two runs home. So turned one in the pouring rain and felt a little bit of a hamstring strain and during the rain delay there, it started raining right after that. And I saw our buddy Mamba in the VIP suite up there and he was foaming at the mouth to get one of them built ballers uniform. So I gave him mine and let him take the glory. But uh, it is really the only um, sport where a group of average NASCAR working people can take two Pro Bowl uh, NFL guys to the cleaners in the finals. So that was cool. It was a, it was a great event. It was obviously I got to stand up kind of you know look at it from the top row and it was really cool the the all-star game and the way it all worked out so i was pumped for you and your people and i have eaten about 100 built bars since then <laughs> yep so it was the first annual kickball classic fueled by built bars they were giving away a bunch of swag a bunch of bars they they've coming out they're not even available yet they have built balls chuckle all you want they are like little protein balls with almond butter in between so be on the lookout for those things, Chuck, because those built balls are something else. Built balls or the built bars? Both, but particularly the balls. Uh, big fan of the balls myself. 
Um, and you know, <laughs> I just don't know how they get the peanut butter inside of them. I just can't figure it out. Magic. You know, it's magic. I'm eating one right now. Can't you hear me eating a built ball myself? So be on the lookout guys. I guess we could talk about the other stuff that what we actually do for a job now. You mean, you mean the racing that happened over the weekend? Yeah. You know, cause it was somewhat exciting. You know, the kickball deal really set off the week, set the tone for the weekend. There's only one thing that can fuel this Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick rivalry more is if they were both on separate teams at the kickball classic, just headhunting each other. Other than that, they've carried this thing over from Bristol and it came to fruition and it came to a head at the Roval. And I'll be honest, Chuck, I really don't think the retaliation was warranted. Um, you know, obviously I'm not the one that got a race taken away, got the playoff points taken away, got an automatic ticket punt to the next round, which ultimately Kevin Harvick's now out because of that. But Kevin Harvick straight up dumped Chase Elliott. Now, Chase Elliott's crew did an amazing job to get that car put back together. People are talking about, oh, the bumper cover and this and that. I get it. Generally, the rule of thumb for short tracks and road courses is you don't need the back bumper. But forget about that for a second. The fact that the nine team got that thing repaired enough to where Chase could go finish 12th and advance to the next round uh, was pretty impressive, right? Yeah, I don't – I mean, Harvick obviously, obviously felt strong enough about whatever conversation they were having. At Bristol Hill, they talked long enough. You think they would have figured it out. But for him to uh, – for him, really, the nine car is lucky that they didn't get the track bar knocked out of the thing. Yeah. Because if they if they knock the track bar out, they're done, and they're out. Um, it was really interesting from our point of view watching it because we were on the – you know, right there on the cut line. So we're like, yeah, hopefully they both wreck. But um, for those guys to be able to fix that car – and come back they they did the all the right stuff they got the spoiler back up they got the, the the deck lid attached and the speed in it i mean it was faster than most cars that weren't wrecked right he was he drove and finished 12th so big ups to those guys when he wipes out three of us in one corner and he smashed me in the fence inadvertently i get that his aggression level was super high uh, we had a bad pit stop. I stalled it. So we went from running between 12th to 14th, which I thought we were having a pretty good day. Th this is actually, we could probably talk about this in pit road boats and woes, but I'll, I'll roll. I'll touch on it right now. I was in front of y'all maybe, or right behind y'all. And we were like 14th and 15th y'all as in the two car, the money stop, which was what 12 to go 14 to go. We all come down. You guys have a smoking stop pick him up about four or five spots. He comes out ninth or 10th. I have a slow stop. Plus I got a little bit frustrated. It was so slow and then I stalled it. So I went from being 14th to like 24th, get back there racing in the hornet's nest. Chase is on a mission to try to get back some points and get back to the front. And we ultimately get up crash. So that's the difference between a championship caliber team like the two versus teams like mine that are a little bit short short-handed or not used to running up there and it's like the entire package it takes to run and make a championship run like you can't have instances like that because then you just get piled up yeah not to jump too far into it but one thing that did happen on that pit stop is when they threw our rear hose it wrapped around your front changer danny kincaid it wrapped around them so our rear changer's hose was wrapped around your changer and that's what happens, you know, on pit road when you're because not only was it us two next to each other, but the 43 was in front of both of us. So we both came around him. So we were all trying to get into it into a tight spot where we got lucky was that when 
Tao just our rear changer got up to run around the car, Danny got up at the same time. If they didn't, the hose was that attached to them where they wouldn't be able to change the left rear on our car. So they did a good job fighting through it. But but yeah, you know, when when you're on a house car, like the two car, you know, you you have your best guys and you have guys from Ganassi who are, you know, they're they're newer guys or their backups, so you're not getting you know, you're, you're the, obviously if those guys were the best in the building, they would be on the one car. So that's that's kind of how that works. But um, but yeah, you lose a couple spots here or there. We we used every set of tires we had. It was a grind for us, damage. But I always wonder, like, if guys like Chase Elliott when they're coming back through the field, like, there's not much respect for the day you're having punching above your weight class. It's like, yeah, get this get this guy out of my way. Those guys look at me, and if, if I'm in the top 15, those guys like, oh yeah, he he doesn't race here very often. Let me just use him up i mean that's really how it is and nothing against chase in particular it's, it's everybody guys that run in the top 15 consistently that's why for me running up there more often i will just earn more and more respect especially when we parlay this into the next gen car and it does allow a smaller team to be competitive like you have to race around the guys that have been racing up there their entire career for them to like accept you in a way like I can understand it completely. You know, it's like this guy in a restart, more than likely he had a good stop or took two, like he doesn't race up here very often. Like, let me jam it in this hole. But the more often you're up there, guys seeing you racing, they're going to give you a little more, more respect. So I'm learning those kind of the hard way. But for me, my goals were going into the year at the road courses, specifically to finish top 20 uh, at all the road courses. And that was a lofty goal. And I finished top 20 in all but two road courses at Daytona road course. Chase wrecked me there and Chase wrecked me at the Roval. So thanks Chase for breaking my streak. And I was in the top 20 of both of those at the time of crashing. So my road coursing uh, abilities have, have had to put a lot of work into it with the shifter car and sh simulation and all the stuff, a lot of studying. So it's starting to pay some dividends hopefully because with this next gen car it is pretty, uh, pretty tough bear to wrestle around a road course you could say that i mean you you were achieving your goals and stacking those pennies and then outside forces uh kept it from getting there but you, you i mean still you know work harder next year get, get get all of them them in the top 20 next year avoid the wrecks yeah and i was proud of our team's effort i've been proud of our team's effort all year you know i think some of the things that we can control we have controlled well and uh, we've learned from the mistakes we've made over the course of the year so to be Four races to go in the season. I feel like we have checked the majority of the boxes that we set out to check this year, uh, which I think that we should be proud about. So, Chuck, what do you got? I have one other question on the uh, the Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick thing. I saw on Twitter a lot of fans and you know during the race were saying, oh, man, Harvick got scared because he saw the nine coming up in his rearview mirror. The four was racing hard with uh, the 20, and he, there was a lot going on there. I know. It is the easiest spot on the track to lock a left front tire up in the one there. It's just, it's kind of off camber. There's not a lot of grip uh, on the racetrack there. If you go in a car length deep and you get a little bit of lock up, then more than likely you're going to go in the fence. Now, I'm sure, I don't know if radioactive has come out yet, but if there was any transmission, radio transmission from Tim Fedor, who spots for Kevin Harvick, to Kevin that the nine car was the next car back, I assure you that he was looking in the mirror and overcooked the corner and drove that thing head on the fence. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So I'm interested to hear radioactive because if there was, he can call it what he wants. He stepped on it and drove straight in the fence. 
there was there was transmission there. It did come out. I watched it uh, this morning, and yeah, there was. It definitely looked that way. That's a bad. That's a bad look, man. When you're being a bully, that's a bad look. If you are being a bully, and the guy that you just got done bullying is behind you, and you look in the mirror and drove head on the fence, uh, that's uh, not a good look. And honestly, I don't think that it's over with. It's not no. squashed. You know, I think that any opportunity that either obviously Chase is now racing for a championship and the four has a merry off season and a happy Christmas. And uh, Chase is selling that merch now. So it's not over. Like if you're selling that merch, if I see you put that shirt after you've said that after the race, if I see you put that up on your website, yeah, it's not over. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try and get a little bit more back out of it. If I'm Kevin Harvick, I'm buying that shirt express delivery to my front door and I'm wearing it to Texas this weekend. Do you wear it during driver intros? Like under, like just open it up under the, uh, yes. I mean, I think it's a great shirt. It looks like a, it looks like an ugly Christmas sweater. So I think kudos to Chase and his team for making that shirt. Who doesn't remember, you know, when Joey says that Delana wears the fire suit of the family, right? Another a one yeah. racing quote. And then Delana and KHI starts making shirts. Like, they're pros at this too, guys. Like yeah. it, is a, it is way more than just guys running around a racetrack. It is a marketing machine. I mean, if I'm Kevin Harvick, I'm doing that. I'm buying the shirt and I'm not touching Chase for the rest of the season, but I'm going to wear the shirt. I'm going to always be there. I'm just uh -huh. going to be kind of looking off to the side like, hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Yeah. Head games. It's uh -huh. the head games. I love that aspect of it. And Harvick has been the king of head games his entire career, like those little things he says, right. And, but now he's got a scary look in his eye, Chuck. Like I, yeah. I saw him at the test yesterday. I was like, Ooh, like he, <laughs> I was sitting there talking to Bubba and he was like the next car over. And he was like walking towards us. Cause he was like, I didn't like, he was walking right at us like 10 feet away. And I was like, Oh, he like, is he coming to get me? And then he like turned <laughs> right and goes to the bathroom. And I was like, Whew. like he was, he was just looks pissed. It'd been funny if he came and was like, Hey, you guys want some donuts? Oh, here's my hot take. And this is going to get some traction and it might, it might piss Kevin off, but let me go ahead and write this down. My hot take NASCAR is going to add a couple more tests for this next gen car. Stuart Haas, they had some speed on Monday. They did not have great speed on Tuesday. He was up there in the ranks because they, their fast lap, they missed the chicane. But every time I looked, he was in the bottom six uh of cars i think there was 21 or 22 cars there they were between 15th and 18th all day i could see a scenario where if kevin harvick doesn't fire off with great speed in these tests will go to the roval if they don't fix some of these steering issues that we have right now currently uh that i was a victim of at the test yesterday i can see a scenario where kevin harvick says deuces i'll see y'all in the booth with jeff gordon that might be a hot take that does sound like a very hot take because the guy has any like Ke Keelan is starting to race and be, I mean, he's probably one of the best Carters 12 and under. I think he's 12, maybe even younger than that. Like in the country, they are grooming him for NASCAR glory, maybe even F1 glory, who knows? But like go he has all the, the resources to go race with his kids, spend a lot of time, grow him. Obviously, he's got a daughter as well. He wants to spend time more at home. Why would he learn after a 20-year career something for one year? 
and maybe not be as competitive as he used to be in because he's not having a lot of fun this year. And then when you go pile on a whole new car, whole new learning techniques, I could see a scenario where he might not want to do it. I might be completely wrong. Like even if he wanted to, I don't know contractually how that works. There's a lot of parts, messy moving parts there with, it's not just as easy as, eh, I'm not going to go race my street stock this week, right? There, there's a lot of sponsorship obligations and contracts. But say that he does, who goes in that car? Good question. I mean, who? I, let's talk about some hypotheticals, Chuck. Who you got? You got driving the number seven, Spire. Uh... Oh, you were pointing at me. You <laughs> yeah, I was, I, yeah I, was, I was. I was pointing. I didn't know. I don't know where you are on my screen. Like to me, so... you're, you're here. I will say this, and anytime we have any contractual uh, conversations internally at Spire, you know, I'm committed to these guys for as long as they'll have me. But they've also, you know, Jeff Dickerson says, you know, if a Rick or a Roger or a Gene Haas calls me, they would drive me over there and drop me off, you know? So, like, if an opportunity like that if, to progress my career come on the table, like, the most – bizarre hypothetical situation of all time let's be real but i don't think that they would like hold me back you know but i i on the other hand i like what we're building i like what this next gen car opens the possibilities for a small team because let's just start diving into next gen stuff now chuck let's shall we test yeah we were legitimately a fifth to eighth place car from the unload you know our fast lap i believe was sixth the the scoring sheets that a lot of the, the media people are putting out they weren't dropping the laps that people cut the short the shortcuts so i think the first day it showed we were 10th but we were seventh and yesterday we were sixth i think at one point blaney had a 30 minute lap <laughs> like it the sheets weren't it's not well, no, accurate like to... yesterday it showed that that martin truex had a was three seconds faster than everybody he completely cut the back stretch so yeah. you know on the scoring pylon you can drop those laps but what the media saw wasn't completely accurate so the a car granted they have been to, they have built the first ever they have done every single test with wheel force cars and the and the group manufacturer tests from the start so they probably have a pretty good feel for this car more so than everybody else since it was our first time tyler reddick was hauling ass he was about three to four tenths faster than everybody they continue to make gains on that car over the course of the day you know and, and i think i like the unknowns of it you know we had no data on our car we had tape measures we had paint pens on the bottom of it to make sure if it was hitting the ground like straight up super late model style now there's a reason why the big teams have 40 engineers to get those cars making changes to understand what they do, how they travel, how they pitch and heave and roll and all this stuff. But it was a lot of fun for me to, I tweeted earlier in the week, in my combined 182 national series starts, that was my first ever test session. Uh, so it was cool to get some laps without being on live television or having you know a certain expectation on what your performance is. You were live. We're live on uh, on NASCAR's YouTube channel and on Facebook, so you can go back and watch those laps. Oh. You can watch those laps, but I'm talking about on network television. Yeah, I know. Hey, hey, do hey. not besmirch the NASCAR network that is YouTube and Facebook. I am not. I stopped by that test for like an hour, just kind of to see what I could learn on one lug nut stuff and if there was a lot of brake dust or what that kind of looked like. If I know we had kind of talked about, there's been a lot of talk about like when the aluminum wheels get hot, are the lug nuts going to get um, too tight and I didn't think we'll be able to see that car again 
like I'm probably not going to go to a test. Uh, I won't be able to really see it with brake dust on it. Seeing that they're going to maybe be a Bowman Gray or something like that, I might go up and check that out. But Stuart Haas had 72 people there. I did know, I did hear that number from one of their guys. But well, between two cars plus, they had their. So Joey Hand was driving the the Rick Ware car, which was built at Stuart Haas. So they had yep. their guys in that car as well. That's a lot of people. Two. We had seven. How many people work at your whole shop? 22. 22. 22 cars. They brought more people out for the test session, Chuck, than triple our entire shop. Dude, I'm telling you, everyone wants to see these cars on track. Everyone in the industry wants to see, like the numbers we saw on YouTube and then the people that I saw uh, in the stands watching and like Keselowski was up watching uh, at the track like people are trying to get every bit of information that they can on these cars while they're testing when they're testing and so let me just go touch on a couple of the distinct differences right off the jump the leg room head room the driver compartment is much more roomy than the one we currently have i'm able to get a lot more distance like my in a more comfortable position and it's also safer for cars coming in to hit you in the door bars or whatever there's a lot of stuff that keeps the drivers contained more the sequential shifter been a lot of uh comments about that it's going to make that driving that h pattern when i get back in at texas this weekend feel like i'm driving a model a because you can just keep your foot wide open and put a little bit of pressure back on the stick and then when you get to the shift point you blip to about 60 percent and it'll fall right in gear and then you kind of put your hand back on the wheel and then you get get it back up to another shift point, put a little pressure back, you blip and it falls right in. Similar to in the downshifts as well, you're hard on the brakes, which the cars have about 40% more stopping capabilities because the wheel's bigger, in which case made the rotor bigger to fit inside that wheel. I think it's about three inches bigger rotor outside diameter. So that makes the car slow down a lot more, more tire patch on the ground. So the difference between sticker tire speed and fall off speed is going to be a bigger difference now right now the fall off let's just say the robo was two seconds now it's going to be about three seconds from stickers to old tires because once your tires get hot and give way uh you're going to be hanging on to them things well you you talk about the tire fall off and it, this is something that i was kind of noticing from the booth when we were broadcasting this stuff I watched the 42 make these really long runs on Tuesday. The eight did it on Monday. I think they said the eight ran about a full Roval race on Monday. Um, 42 was tracking towards that. And then at one point, the 99, his soon to be teammate comes out on fresher tires and starts to catch him. And that was like one of the first times that you started to see close racing action as the 99 was getting closer and closer to the 42 so that tire fall off is that what what were they i guess trying to gain from that if you look at it from soon to be teammates are they going to be sharing notes like how's that all going to play out with that test well Trackhouse owns as of whatever the day after phoenix is owns the ganassi test car similar to how spire owns the the starcom test car that kaz was driving right so all the data that they're acquiring will go into Trackhouse's portfolio um, and their in their database. So yes, they weren't working together. I, I wouldn't imagine on that. You know, I think that when you bolted, like when we particularly bolted on stickers, we were around a 122.60 was our fastest lap, and then after five laps, we would be in the low 23 seconds. So it'd be 123.40s, which was about 
you know, six to seven tenths. And then we would obviously fall off uh, pretty much a linear graph from there and, and end up, you know, somewhere around 24 flats where that is about, I think my fast lap on Sunday with this Gen 6 car was a 123.80. So 1.2 seconds slower. Granted, the Gen 6 cars with this package have about 120 more horsepower. I think we're 750-ish. And then I think 630 or 640 is the number with the next gen car. You'll have a little bit less straight line speed, but the braking capabilities are much more as well as the sticker tire capabilities. The cornering stiffness is, is stiffer because the sidewalls are, are less with those 18 inch wheels and there's more tire patch on the ground. So you should be able to make more speed on the short run with more fall off on the back run, back, with the backside of the run. So I do think it'll come in. There'll be guys that hedge their bet towards short run speed, and then there'll be setups that hedge their, their bets towards long run speed. Yeah, that's one thing that's important for, you know, the pickery side, because everybody always talks about, you know, right away, they go, well, the stops are going to be faster. What about fuel load? Well, you're not going to worry about fuel load if you're falling off that much. Even on a green flag run, you'll split the stage twice if there's that much fall off for sure. Chuck, what, what were some other observations? Uh, there's a big steering rack issue that NASCAR is going to be working on uh, very tirelessly that uh, I was a victim of. We The last run of the day, we we're going to make a 15-lap run or so, and about lap eight out of turn two of the big track, uh, there was really no pictures because I didn't really want a whole lot of stuff to get out, but pre, uh, power steering line burst, and it hung a right, and we pretty much wholesaled our car, granted, after the crash test, NASCAR developed new front and rear clips that have some more crush zones to mitigate some of that force that's transmitted to the driver. So we were going to be, our Spire Motorsports team, as well as everybody else, we're going to be changing front and rear clips to go to the oval test. We had to do it anyways, but we got our first crash test, and unfortunately, I was the guy. It hurt a little bit more than what they erected on Sunday at the in turn two because I was going faster on, on Tuesday, but uh, it was unfortunate that we have an issue now that um, – we have to fix and fix quick, but you know, I think the overall package of the next gen car is exactly what we need. There's certainly bugs we got to work out, but if it, if we as Spire Motorsports with 22 guys, 23 guys can build a car out of the box and have speed with no special, nothing, no carbon pieces that some of these other teams are doing leg braces and dashes and all this stuff that they're working on, like, and we can go be competitive out of the gate is is what we need to be as a sport. So I love it. Take me through the two days of the test because I felt like towards the second half of the second day, you saw guys maybe pushing it a little bit more and you started to see, and it, again, the weather was different on Tuesday than it was on Monday. So that could have played a little bit into it, but you saw the 23 spin, you saw Stenhouse spin and get some, uh, damage you saw it felt like guys were pushing it pushing it just a little bit further and further as the test went on uh looking at you know team penske going out there with the three you had the 12 the 22 and then the 21 all making a pretty solid run there where they were closed up and they were getting racy and trying stuff out but that was again later in the second day so was that sort of was there strategy to that yeah I mean, I know there was to an extent, but take me through those two days and like, when do they say, all right, just go? Um, well, every every team 
has their own test plan and the rule was for cars, you only get one car per two charters for a team, right? So when there is a tight affiliation between the Wood Brothers and Team Penske, like we saw, they can have three legitimate cars with all the telemetry, all the stuff to, to I think you're only allowed one car with telemetry on per organization, but you can have two cars there. So we saw two cars from Hendrick, one of which could have data on, I think Team Penske swapped the data from Joey's car to Ryan's car the second day, but they also had Austin Sendrick's car. He was in the 21 as well. So the learning curve for a bigger team will be considerably less steep because they have more notebooks, more engineers to soften that. But I do think that uh, once we figure out generally what a baseline package for these cars like, it'll allow a smaller team to get in that box a little bit easier. Uh, and with the body, there's not a whole lot of, hopefully NASCAR polices that stuff pretty tightly and doesn't allow any shenanigans there, but it's racing. There's always going to be some sort of shenanigans. But uh, if, the, if the premise of this thing is to close the gap between the haves and the have-nots, I do think it is a, a large step in the right direction. So break it down to me like I'm an idiot. Like usual. You're behind the wheel of this next-gen car. How fun was it? Uh, fun, man, because the current car that we have is heavy. It has three inches less tire width underneath of it, and it's got a lot of power. So it doesn't, it doesn't reward getting your elbows up and being aggressive because you'll blast through the tire. It really awards being, being smooth, being having some finesse, you know, Chase is one of the best at road courses to be able to slide it, but have it controlled, hit the apexes. Like William Byron, same way. Like he is very particular and very, um, I guess, accurate uh, with his braking, his apexes and stuff like that. Where the next gen car allows you to kind of get your elbows up a little bit, slide them around a little bit. And it does warrant or it does reward getting into the brake zone a little bit deeper. Uh, it does uh, reward that extra 3% of effort that you couldn't get because the tire laterally couldn't take it on this current car. If you wanted to hang it out there and try to get an extra two or three tenths, um, then it, it's there with this new car. And I do think it's going to, it's going to highlight some guys that, you know, have might've been carried by some fast cars or over their, you know, their career, because you have to get on the wheel of these things and, you know, now the gap's going to be a little bit shorter. And I think you're going to see some guys that you're used to seeing up racing in the top 15, not be there quite as often. You're going to see some guys outside of the top 15 that you normally don't see. Whether I'm one of those guys could be one or, you know, we might be terrible. I don't think so. But the speed that we shown Monday and Tuesday was I went in to the test. This might sound dumb optimistically skeptical of like we could either miss the boat and be seconds off right because we don't we have no sim we have no simulation we don't even have a setup like we just kind of set this thing up like okay this kind of looks good this is what we've done with this car it might not translate and we go and we're we were inside the top 10 all 48 hours of the test so once we even start wrapping our arms around this thing even more obviously the bigger team's going to wrap their arms around it as well and it's the same for everybody, but I, I think that it is, it is a fun car to drive because it rewards being disciplined, but also being aggressive at the same time. So um, my skepticism 
of what I was worried about with the car was I left feeling very optimistic as a sport that this is the right direction. Skip, I got a question for you based off of your observation there, uh, the noise of the car. You, you, you hear people talk about that a lot. What was your impression of the sound? Because I, I, I'm feeling I'm going to have to go and get new ear molds before next year to, to help with my hearing. So, yeah, I actually brought that up to Corey right when I got there because I was walking on. I kind of parked by the Victory Lane and walked on Pit Road. So it was much louder kind of on Pit Road on Monday than it was on Sunday. Corey pointed out, I said, man, I thought one of the things we were trying to do is quiet these things down a little bit for the fans. Like, that's something that we've talked about in years past that the fans have asked for. Like, it's kind of loud. It's maybe one of the reasons we went to stage breaks to give people a break from the noise. So... Well, we are quieting them down. This is, I, I was going to finish. Oh, okay. I was, and Corey pointed out, he said, it's going to be quieter for the fans because you got to realize there's a pipe coming out of the left side. So so it's split. So it's going to be a little bit louder for us, quieter for the outside. We'll, we'll see where those pipes end up. Obviously, the two biggest takeaways that I saw were the steering rack issues and the heat is still um, – you know, a little bit of an issue where those headers end up dumping out and how they sound in the end. Uh, I don't think we're quite there yet. I, I saw one of GMs yesterday said, we're still tuning on the big knob. We haven't gotten to the fine-tuned knobs yet. I thought that that test went very well. It looked it looked really good. The cars, when I stood there on track, I was open-minded about it. I thought they looked great. You know, they're, they're good-looking race cars. I was looking at one this morning at the shop. They're, they look good. There are some things I, I am not, uh, I don't care where the number is. I don't love that it's forward, but that's a, that's a point that like does not matter. Right. The fact that Corey was fast and, and to see what kind of where some of the speeds were and also teams like Rick Ware being able to jump in with like a Stuart Haas and have some affiliation there. It helps both, uh, helps both teams and they're not getting chassis from 2008. So it's going to make them when Joey hand comes and races with you guys, He's not going to be shipping Martin Truex for 30th. He might be shipping Martin Truex for 15th, you know? So, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. One conversation I had with a fan this weekend, actually, in our pit box, and I think it's important to talk about. He said, you know, I just hate – he said, what do you think about the new car? And I said, I really don't have an opinion about it. I haven't really worked on it. I don't have an opinion about it yet. We need a change eventually. He said, well, I just hate that they're taking the stock aspect out of it. And so let me ask you a question since you brought this up. What car can you buy stock with truck arms and a Ford nine inch rear end and big, big spring, you know, big front springs. And, and there's not 15 inch wheels. Yeah. There, there's no, our cars are, are getting to be antiquated. Right. And the, the change is going to have to come. Larry McReynolds harped on it from 80 to 81. And then from, you know, what we did in 2007, the, the change is here and it has to come. Um, and we can find a lot of things to complain about, but we have to go this direction. This is more like what is driving on the road. The OEMs don't want to spend the millions of dollars to develop, you know, when, when teams are back bending truck arms. And the, back when we practiced, they'd go for, through four truck arms a weekend, you know, bending them and doing all kinds of stuff. Like that's what's got us here. And we've got to get away from that. I think people a lot of times miss the point when they say there's nothing stock on these. It's like, well, all right. Yeah. It's not stock that you're going to find at uh, advanced auto parts or, you know, Napa or, or any of those places. You're not going to find it at your local garage, but they're stock to the sport. Right. Yeah. 
Right. Like it. Well, every, they're more what the OEM is selling. Yeah. You're you're going off of what the OEMs have plus what NASCAR has said. These are the regulations that you have. So this is the stock part for this. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but this opens the door for more manufacturers. The more OEM money that comes into the sport, the more the whole it's high tides raise all ships, guys. So if a Honda or if a Volkswagen or fill in the blank Mercedes. comes in, Mercedes, I mean, BMW, Audi, Volvo, anybody, Volvo, let's get Volvo in here. If they come in, then it'll take a potentially like Aspire Motorsports out of the bottom of the Chevy totem pole, say we're seventh car in line. Now we're the second car in line to the technology of another manufacturer. That brings the competitiveness of everything. It also justifies if Honda comes in, they don't have to hire three guys to develop left side truck arms that flex and you have to change them three times a weekend like we used to. They can develop engine technology, potentially hybrid technology that hooks up to the transaxle, like stuff that's actually justifiable to make what Honda races on Sunday, go back to what they can possibly sell on Monday. And whatever the OEMs are the lifeblood of the sport, we the fans are really and truly the lifeblood of the sport, But and TV money is the one that funds it. But if, the, if there's only one OEM, it's not what it is, right? It's the competition of what this thing – of what the OEMs come in. And when you add another one or two, it makes it way more exciting. And what this next gen car does, once they figure out this motor deal uh, over in 2024, it's definitely gonna bring in another OEM and which is going to raise all the ships collectively. Because the new OEM is going to have sponsors that they already work with that they're going to bring to the sport. So that brings more sponsorship, which then brings more ad revenue, which then ups viewership, which then promotes job growth in like it's it is a combined thing that i i said it before i'll say it again there is just a buzz that is going on in nascar right now in the industry that it just seems like we're poised to get to a new era in the sport where it is a new uh i guess heyday i guess is that a good way to say it it's yeah everything kind of cycles and we're on the upswing yeah. We are on the upswing, and we're going to be on the upswing here in Pit Road Boats and Woes in this next segment. So stand by, and we'll dig into this week's Woes at the Roval and what we're looking forward to at Texas. Stand by. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Okay, we're back with some Roval Wovels, if you will. My good friend Ryan Flores, front changer on now. The round of eight competitor racing for a championship. They punched their ticket to the round of eight, so they're going to try to make uh, their way into the round of four here starting this weekend at Texas. But how was your – how nerve-wracking was that last elimination race trying to get to that next round? Um, we have not had a good run of road courses this year with the old two car. Uh, we did finish fifth at the Daytona Roval, the Doval or whatever you would call that. But yeah, it looked like it was going to be a pretty smooth day. We ran to the competition caution, you know, second or third. And then we got, it was like, we were maybe taking it easy, but we got run over by the 48, lost all our track position, flipped the stage, ended up getting stage points in the second stage. Thank God, which kind of catapulted us. We were right there on the cusp of, uh, being in, not being in, plus eight, minus eight, the 24 lead in, we were out and we ended up at the end getting spun out again, getting right front damage, barely, barely getting it, you know, the car out in time to get, you know, get to the tail end of the field, come to the green, which was good. And then we were able to, with the 19 getting spun out there, we were able to, if the 24 would have won, we would have won a tiebreaker with the 19. So move on to the round of eight. And it's important for us because, you know, we felt like we, should have won the championship last year and we lost it on pit road. You know, we passed the nine car at Phoenix and it's, it's important to us to try to end Brad's tenure at Penske and, and um, kind of get that back. So this is our, we, Brad scored the most points in the round of eight last year, you know, Texas, Kansas and, and Martinsville are places where he's won, where he's fast at. And uh, you know, the way we see it, we're two wins away from being able to uh, hoist the trophy. That would be pretty damn cool. So did Harvick, piling it in the fence, doing anything for you guys points where you guys okay at that point in time? It, it helped us a ton. It, you know, it, it, it saved us to be able to have another mistake, I guess you'd say, right. We would have had to pass a lot of cars. We, we'd lost all our track position again, kind of, he was fading and we were coming, but, uh, but yeah, it, it kind of just gave us some breathing room. So that was good. And it looked really bad there for the five car for a little bit. Yeah. And they did an unbelievable job. We'll talk about that here in a second, but you guys are the eighth seed in the round of eight. So you guys are might as well plan on having a win to get your chance into the, into the playoffs or into the round of four to at Phoenix, because it's going to be hard to outpoint, you know, a teammate Ryan Blaney who's sitting fourth right now. And then the two, two Gibbs cars are sitting two and three and Larson pretty much has enough. Uh, he's got 42 points more than almost an entire race in the bank. So, out of the three races of Texas, Kansas, and Martinsville, where do where do you guys like your your shots best to possibly get in victory lane? I you know I think that the Ford's struggles early on in the season with the 550 package has helped where we're going to be now. Right it, now is where you want to peak, and with Ryan winning at Michigan, pretty much to end the season, and then with what we we finished second, you know, at the All Star race, and we feel like we could have won that a little bit different package at Texas. Um, Kansas, we've always been good at and Martinsville. I mean, Brad is really, really good at Martinsville. He's good at long runs, saving his tires. Well, the one thing, if you're below the cutoff line here, or you're in a spot where we're at, where we're probably not going to get in on points is from a pit crew side. And from the way you call the race, you can just be aggressive, right? You don't have to worry about losing points. You can just go there and attack and, you know, s stay on kill mode and catch some guys by surprise where if you're Larson, kind of solve you lose points or you know you, you have to protect that lead so 
we'll see. It's interesting. You know, you're like Brad said, we're two wins away. You win one of these races and then you go to Phoenix and everything's equalized. So it's just, a, it's a grind. The way you practice now is you just, you just make sure that your, your T's are dotting, your I's are crossed and you fight through all kind of your injuries that you got going on from the season and from playing kickball with your friend and all that stuff. So, uh, so yeah, we're excited to get going. Explain to the listeners behind the scenes when there's an issue that the five had like that, when they're struggling generating any voltage, right? So their alternator is either bad or the, the, the belt fell off or battery's dead. Like what, when, when the, that happens, who is the guy ordering the troops, figuring out a plan to best fix that? So I think the two guys that would be the most in charge of that would be the crew chief and the car chief. And, you know, there's two really good guys on that five car and Cliff Daniels, who, and Cliff Daniels, who's car, the crew chief and Jesse Saunders, who's the, uh, the car chief. Jesse's a lot like, I, I compare him a lot to, he's like a younger Ron Malik and Ron Malik was uh, Jimmy Johnson's car chief through his, through every championship that, that he won. And just a staple at, who was a, you know, a Hendrick Motorsports staple and won a lot of races and was a, a big influence there. Jesse's that guy, but just younger. They're racers. They're not engineers or, you know, they, they've Cliff coming out of, you know, Virginia late models and Jesse coming out of the, the Wisconsin ranks, you know, they're able to, when you're a car chief, you have to be the most tapped in on the team, right? The crew chief has to do a lot of stuff, but as far as the car aspect, man, the car chief job, you're the first one there. You're the last one to leave. And you know, every nut and bolt on that car, that is not a job to be taken lightly. And a lot of times it doesn't get the respect that it deserves. I mean, that guy is the guy, right? You realize what's going on. You change the battery first because it's a quick change. And then you see that it's still dying. So you know it's the alternator. When they changed the battery, they lifted the hood. And they had to have seen that the alternator belt was off of it. Um, so they make the plan. They have the belt there. They know exactly what wrenches they're going to need. They come down, and that's how they're able to, to fix it so fast. So the, the fact that he was out and then back in, you know, I think that he probably could have – you know, got some track position had they went down a lap or still fought. But the fact they stayed in the lead lap all day uh, was was super impressive. And I think it also makes that team a little bit stronger leading into this round if they face any sort of adversity. But there's still potential that that can happen to anybody and knock their, their way out of the playoffs. So going into Texas, what do you guys look for on pit road to try to just have a solid day and not make a mistake? I, I don't think it's about, you know, having a solid day and not making a mistake. I think it's about going there and, you know, being one of the top three pickers in the place, if not the best, right? For us, the days of, hey, just gain or maintain and, you know, our, you got to put your foot on their throat right now and, and keep it on there in both series, you know, Cup and Xfinity. We're also racing for the Xfinity Championship. You don't go in there and you're not, you're not cautious, but you're, you're not being dumb either, right? You, you don't want to be too greedy. You got to make sure you get your wheels tight. You got to make sure you don't have penalties, jump penalties, you know, mental mistakes, but you're also, you know, getting after it. So it's not the time of the year to, uh, to sit, sit on your hands and just, you know, we'll just go in here and knock this one out. This is, this is time to get after it. And this is when the money's made. It's time to get after it. So Texas is probably one of the most track position sensitive places we go to. And in the mechanics where, what was the impact score right Ooh. now? You have a new leader. So new leader in the clubhouse. Who is uh? What's that impact score looking like right now? Who's on top? So what's what's crazy to me is you know, the nine car had been dominating, right? Four races left in the season, the ten car comes up and passes them. And they pass them handily. They they were within a tenth of them, and uh, and now they're three tenths ahead. So 
the, the nine car has slipped to a tie for second with the 19. It's the 10, the 19, the nine, the four, and the five. So what's interesting to me is, you know, with, with one lug nut coming up next year, how much the 10 is putting in, how much emphasis they're putting on this. What are they going to do? Also, they're not racing for much. So are they going to keep the wrench out of the window and make sure the pit stops are fast, you know, not adjust on it um, and, and go for the 100 grand here while the nine car is going to be racing for a championship? We'll see how that plays out. And the 19 car finding a ton of speed here. They started off a little rough in the season. But to uh, to be right there, you know, one bad pit stop from the 10 car, one bad cycle, lose a couple pits, lose a, lose a couple positions on pit road, and it could take you right back out of it. You saw it happen with us at Vegas. We had a stop where it was a little bit longer trying to do left side wedge. And, you know, it dropped us from from seventh to 11th in, in the standing. So one bad cycle of pit stops. I'm sure the nine car this weekend was hurt because that car was pretty hard to pit with the damage. So that definitely hurt them. But those are the things that, uh, you know, for 10 weeks, that stuff happens. It's big boy sport. Could knock you out of the, out of the chances for a win here. Well, there you have it. That was a lot of good stuff. Um, and we got a long show, so we'll wrap up Pit Road Boats and Woes. Good luck on the twos team in the round eight with our own Pit Road Boats and Woes analyst, Ryan Flores, changing front tires for them. So good, week, good luck at Texas, my friend. Thanks, buddy. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, guys, there you heard it from the pit road boats and woes master himself, Ryan Flores. On some of the possible woes here at Texas, what I think, and I'm banking on some guys. I'm interested to see, Chuck, what we got for some jackpot picks for your chance to win $25,000. It's going to be hard for me to go against that five-car leading this weekend. So what's group one? Well, group one, you've got Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney, and Chase Elliott. That's a tough group because there is a winner that is probably going to come out of that group right there. That's why they're in the big group one. Exactly. Heavy on the Gibbs cars. I don't know, man. I, I've sa I said on Sirius XM earlier this year that Kyle Larson was going to win over nine and a half races. And I'm going to stick with that. Uh, they're going into Texas. They're going into Kansas, leading into uh, Martinsville and, and Phoenix. 
I think the five team could win over 10 races. So I am hammering the five in my first pick. Who you got in that segment one, Chuck? I think that that is a solid choice. I mean, he did win the all-star race there earlier this year. He's coming off that, uh, that win at the Roval. So, I mean, I like the five. I think that's a good pick. And the thing about the five is they're starting to be pressure tested a little bit. Yeah. You know, they haven't had a lot of, you know, stuff up against some parts breaking. Those guys bared down, swapped an alternator, swapped a battery, and he started in the back and drove back to the lead. So, you know, those guys, Cliff Daniels kept this team dialed in. The five teams looking so strong right now leading to Texas. So, yes, I'm betting the house on the five this weekend. Five gets the win in Texas and locks itself into uh, a championship round. I don't hate it. Don't hate it. All right, let's move on to group two. Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, William Byron, Kurt Busch, and Alex Bowman. I think Joey is one of those guys that can get that extra 5%. Like he is when he puts his game face on, obviously this is the last round to punch his ticket into the championship four. Joey is going to be on a mission these next three races. If he doesn't get it done here at Texas, he's probably going to get it done at, Texas, at Kansas or Martinsville to figure out how to get himself into the championship four. But as hard as I'm hammering the five, you know, I think you've got to look at another Hendrick car because those guys have been solid. So what, what was another Hendrick car in that mix? Uh, you got William Byron and Bowman in that group, but I feel like Byron, you know, he was showing some stuff there in the Roval, but, you know, obviously didn't quite finish out the way he needed to. But I, I, I just feel like they're starting to show the, those signs of maturity with Byron. You know, he's got, I think that that could be someone that may not get the win at Texas, but will perform really well and, you know, just have a good run, have a good day. I think it's going to be clear. I don't think that you can go back to the all-star race and say, you know, the four or five most dominant guys of that race are going to be dominant now because the track temperature was way hotter when we went back there for the all-star race than what will be here. And you also, when those guys are setting their cars up, they're trimming those cars out for the all-star race for short segments, 15, 20 lap segments, maybe a touch longer. So those cars are hedged on a short run set up now you got to go for 500 miles uh so there's gonna be a lot of different guys up in the mix some guys that were solid in the all-star race not be so good and and vice versa so i'm interested to see historically gibbs seems to make the most mechanical grip out of the big three if you will team penske gibbs and hendrick so if it if it's a hot racetrack and cars are slipping sliding around look for the some gibbs cars to be up front towards the towards the end of that thing so i don't know that that group too chuck you pick one for all of our listeners to go hammer i know i said william byron and i'm probably going to confuse him but screw it i'm going to stick with that i'm gonna stick with that 24. all right so we got both get both henry cars in the first two rounds mm -hmm. group group number three group number three christopher bell austin dillon tyler reddick chris busher ross chastain and matt de benedetto man i think tyler reddick is got some confidence right now um we are recording this before the next gen piece but i'm sure i will talk about how fast that eight team was and that rcr team was at the next gen test they were legitimately three to four tenths faster than everybody else and they continued to make that car better over the course of the day obviously tyler reddick was in the mix to win the roval um so tyler reddick right now his stock is high 
I think he's going to be up there messing with some playoff guys today, just like we saw him do at the Roval. You know, may or may not have taken uh, William Byron's chance out of it, but I, I certainly see what he was racing for, trying to get that first career win. I do think that Tyler Reddick will be the, up in the mix at Texas. So I'm going to go with the eight. I agree with you 110%. I think that that is who you need to pick out of that third group in jackpot. Do we need to even go four? I think that our, our listeners are well-educated enough now. They can make good choices to win $25,000. If you just go download the app, Jackpot Races, you can have your chance to win twenty five grand. Okay, guys, we're keeping these segments going because I just love hearing from y'all so much. And also we give Jane a little bit of love because she gets on here to ask me the questions you guys send in with using on Twitter, the hashtag penny for your thoughts. So Janie, we got a couple of good ones today. What we got? We do. We have two good ones. The first good one comes from Ken Steiner and he says they had a camera on Truex's pedals during the race. Why was he using the clutch to upshift? I didn't know he was using a clutch to upshift. I don't know why he would use a clutch to upshift. That actually makes no sense to me. And I haven't watched it back because you don't have to. Like, I don't know of anybody using the clutch to upshift, to be honest. Like, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I need to go back and look because Martin Trix is a pretty good road course racer. But I know of some guys using the clutch, like if they start wheel hopping or, or you know, chalking the wheels or locking them up, you can kind of put a little bit of pressure on the clutch to like unratchet the rears, but those are for the guys that are elite road course racers. I got my hands full just trying to stop the damn thing. So I have no clue as to why Martin Truex uses the clutch to shift. The only time you use the clutch really is to come out of the pit road. Other than that, you're just matching RPMs and it goes in gear just fine. So interesting observation. Well, there you have it, Ken. We don't know. Yeah. That's astute observation there. I have no idea. I have no Great question. Why you would do that? <laughs> Science. The next one comes from Andrew Higginbottom, which actually works for NASCAR. He says, hey, Corey LaJoy, do you talk out loud to yourself while driving in the race car? I know Kale Yarborough used to make race car noises while driving a race. I wondered what listeners might hear if your helmet microphone was always keyed on. God, that's a great question. I've actually never been asked that, uh, to be honest, because I've always wanted somebody to ask. I don't know generally what anybody else does, but I like yell at myself, especially if you're a road course or like Martinsville and a place that takes a lot of discipline and you miss the corner and I'll be like, hit your damn marks. Like I'll just yell at myself or, you know, I don't ever be like, yeah, good job. Like it, for me, it's like, if I miss a corner, if I cook it a little bit, I start wheel hopping, I'll be like, back it up, like back your corner up. Or it's, it's really just whatever the, the words, the big Randy, my dad has just hammered in my head since the time I was three years old and I started racing, like they'll just come out uh, because I know he's saying the same thing on his couch. So <laughs> yes, I will like yell at myself, like hit your fucking marks, like dumbass. like, what are you doing? And, or I could be like, you know, settle down here. I'll, I'll literally tell that to myself audibly. Now, granted, you can't hear it because the, the noise of the car is so loud, but I think actually saying it like, like the act of your brain telling your body to say it kind of lets you reset. I've heard the stories of Kale Yarbrough, you know, he'll, he'll, he like, he like more, more so grunted, like, like, like that more than like, 
So you're not singing Pocket Full of Sunshine when you're going around the track at like uh, Daytona or something like that? No. <laughs> no, like, I'll like hum, you know, like the old yeah. Sylvester Stallone movie, like in Driven, yeah. like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> I have done, like if I've got a song stuck in my head or something. Yeah. Okay. Because that's the thing, Higgy and, I, Higgy and I were talking about this in the booth, and I was like, you need to tweet that. Like, I'm not going to remember to ask this question, but you need to tweet that. Yeah. And uh, it was basically like, are you singing in the car? Are you cussing out other drivers? It's like that road rage thing. Because I know when I'm behind the wheel of a car, like, and I do something stupid, like I'll, I have, you know, run up on the curb every now and then, you know, it happens. Yeah. Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, you just, you, t- you, you talk to yourself. I don't get road rage. I don't think many yeah. people do. There's some people that do get road rage, like, because they'll just key the mic up and say some dumb stuff. But because everybody is fighting for the same real estate and everybody's trying to go forward. So like, I understand if somebody makes an aggressive move, like I get frustrated and I like yell at myself if I don't do or hit a line or use discipline when I know I'm capable of doing it. Um, so that's uh, that is when I yell at myself, I usually yell at myself. I, I don't like do much other things than that. And it's not often, it might be four or five times a race, or even like, I'll kind of pump myself up a little bit. If it's that money restart and you're, you know, if you're in the first couple rows and you yank the bells tight and you'd be like, a, come on. Like, and then you got to like get a little bit of adrenaline spike because your adrenaline, your, your adrenals have been going for four hours straight. Like sometimes you need a little bit of a juice up. So yeah, that's a, that's a great topic. Well, Hey, Hey, I got one more penny for your thoughts. Thought uh, question that came in. Uh, Zachary uh, Logan Zachary uh, tweeted uh, me and Flores and said with limited road crews due to COVID who goes over the wall to change stuff like alternator belts and batteries does the pit crew do that or is there still over the wall mechanics that do that kind of thing yeah that's a great question I wish Flores was here to answer that because he could harp on a rag on pit crew guys uh, but generally it is the car chief who pretty much knows that car front to back and every bolt on it. So he can probably change that particular part in the most efficient time um, compared to anybody else. And then usually the, the battery would be like the underneath, underneath mechanic. So everybody um, suits up, you know, some guys, some crew chiefs even suit up. You see like a guy like Cliff Daniels, he's in a fire suit, which I don't know in what instance he would go over the wall ever, but he might want to just feel like one of the crews. I get it. Uh, Chad Knauss obviously wore fire suit on pit road as well. So in an instance like that, it would be your front end. Like if they're changing an the alternator, it would be your front end mechanic. Uh, take also take in consideration your car chief, your your road crew guys, quote unquote, are catching tires or pulling hose for your actual pit crew, so they're active during a pit stop. You know those guys aren't just like in the hall or eating bonbons. Like they're active. They're uh, some guys are swapping water bottles out for the drivers pulling tear offs. So those guys are suited up, ready to go. So an instance where the battery needs to be changed so your underneath mechanic will go yank that thing out and jam a new one in there, as well as your car chief and front end mechanic will swap out maybe an oil pump belt or an alternator, anything front end wise, like the guys who are used to working on it, much more so than the pit crew guys who are used to just practicing jacking the tires up and making rear window adjustments. Those are the guys who are gonna make changes like that. Uh, so y'all keep them coming each and every week. We will pull the good ones and we will talk about them each and every week. Now. Another segment that I love doing is nominating a penny stacker of the week, Janie. We had a fan load up his Chrysler Town and Country with his kids. He has some boxes on top. Tweet at us. And what did he say? He said. Who was it? 
Well, we don't know exactly what his name is, but his Twitter handle is JWBlaylock9. And he said, after meeting Corey LaJoy at Charlotte Motor Speedway, how could we not recreate this iconic number seven shot at Spire Motorsport? And he's there with what I assume is his wife or girlfriend and his kids in the backseat. And he's all posted up right in front of your shop. Well, right in front of the sign. So I think he was recreating the Alan Kowicki picture that we took out front of what we did earlier in the year where I had my suit jacket with the briefcase recreating the Alan Kowicki picture from 1991. So I really appreciate fans who especially just took the time to drive from the racetrack which it's only probably a quarter mile drive to Spire Motorsports and uh and he's got the back window down his two kids are cheesing in the back seat so that's what we love to see out of our penny stackers and that's why you sir at JW Blaylock 9 are the penny stacker of the week so congratulations Chuck what we got for some spare change heading into Texas I got one bit of spare change that I saw yesterday uh, on Twitter and that was big rigs racing at Rockingham and not old footage of it because, you know, they used to do that back in the 80s and they were just rolling cold. Like you'd see that smoke just pouring out of these big reels, big reel, big rigs. And I saw it and I was like, oh, that's got to be old footage. No, that was uh, recently. That was this year. Well, I saw on Facebook, you know, Rockingham is near and dear to my heart because I've won three late mile stock races there once they reopened it. Uh, so I had a lot of success there, finished second there in the K&N series that they used to wrap in 2012. They wrapped, we wrapped our season up there. Kyle Larson won the championship. I finished second by six points to him. And I, I Tyler Reddick won that race. Uh, he kind of came out of nowhere. He's a dirt kid. So like there was a ton of heavy hitters in that race. So Rockingham's near and dear to my heart. So when I saw they were, We'd eaten the track. They're painting the walls. They're like cleaning up. I'm like, what is going on here? Because I knew that they had a late mile stock race scheduled. Then I see the tweet that there are about 14 of these big rigs rifling off into turn one at 100 miles an hour. I was like, these guys are insane. So I don't know if, like, I don't know who won that race. I don't know if they crashed any of them, but. You know, that place would be that place was gnarly in a purpose built race car, let alone a damn 18 wheeler. I found the web page for it finally. It is the Fast Big Rig series. And I don't know if this is a conflict of interest because we're NASCAR and we're talking, but damn it, they are running. <laughs> they are running all around the state of North Carolina. They're racing at Hickory Motor Speedway coming up on October 23rd. I mean, we are all rednecks at heart. Yeah. And I know who, you know, who signs the checks for this podcast and your and your jobs, Chuck. But, you know, who doesn't love some big rigs running around some short tracks? Hashtag more short tracks, more big rigs, and everything's going to be just okay. Dude, the thing is, like, you go to that website and, like, I feel like uh, you could enter, there, like, the minimum basic, uh, not you, but, like, fans could enter if you got a big rig and you want to race it <laughs> the rules are right on their on their web page but i can't find who won that's the i was looking to see the results i got the upcoming events but uh you don't do it for the notoriety chuck you no. do it for the love of it now do yeah. we need to build a, <laughs> build a big rig? tractor for you to who would who would we get to drive it out of all out of Merriman. all merriman ain't driving nothing oh come on man he is built for a big rig he is. He looks like a big rig driver for sure. But I just think that he he's like the the 
the guy that drives about six below the speed limit and kind of like waves at everybody and pulls the air horn whenever any kid next to him pulls does a little sign. If you want to go somewhere safe, you ask Merriman because he's used to driving four kids around in his in his minivan. But if you want to get somewhere fast, I think Janie's going to be the one that has to drive that big rig. I'd I'd, I'd be for that, but just so, before we get off of this Merriman thing, he does not drive safe. I have ridden with him in a rental car at the racetrack, and he is not safe. And he's not here to defend himself, so I won't go all in on what he did to that car in Phoenix back in 2017, but he knows what he did. He knows what he did. He knows what he did. One last bit of spare change before we go, before we sign off. Next Gen Joe, I saw the tweet about it. Give me the story behind it. Yeah, so we were over at Joey's I don't know, a couple weeks ago and just talking about how, like, you know, he, we're talking about just different phases of life, right? Like he's got two kids and he's got another, another girl coming. Uh, and it's like, he's not, we're just talking about like how he's not a kid anymore. Granted, he's only maybe 31. And, but he's like, not this kid that we're all used to him being. And I was like, man, why with this next gen car, why don't you just like rebrand a little bit, sell some more t-shirts, drop the Y and be Joe Logano. I mean, I feel like that's kind of strong and there's no young, guy going really by joe anymore i mean if it if it is it's a strong name so we were joking about it well joe burrow you know yeah i mean that's strong strong name strong strong name so i walk into the garage on tuesday morning so I, you know monday i'm kind of like locked in trying to see what we can do with our car and you know tuesday we kind of know what to expect so i'm a little bit lower like hearted and i saw joey walking and i was like next gen joe good morning and he's like hi you know <laughs> like what do you think about these things, Shoe? Then we talked for a minute, and I was like, it hit me like a light bulb. I said, next-gen Joe. So he walks into his hauler, and I, I, they were out. They had his car backed up, warming it up in the morning. And I just walked right over to the top of his window and peeled the Y off and took a picture of it. I pulled it off both sides. All 47 of his engineers were looking over their laptops like, what the hell is this guy doing to our car? And I just went over and ripped that wire right off to start next-gen Joe. I'm not sure it's going to catch on. I think it's got a good ring to it, Chuck. Like, next-gen core, next-gen den, like some other people were trying to throw around. It doesn't work no. like next-gen Joe. It just it fits. Dude, I can already see – the shirts flying off the shelf with next gen Joe. So we'll see if it catches on. He might not like it. I don't know, but it, we know that it started at the second day of the Roval test. Are they a fan of it at team Pinsky? I have no clue. I didn't, I do not know. I, I do not, did not know how that conversation was going to go with you pulling a Y off the car, but Joey did laugh about it this morning. He was at pit practice and he said, can you believe you just pulled Y right off my car? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, next gen Joe dropping the Y. Adding the attitude. Adding the W. <laughs> w. Who knows? Maybe it'll catch you on. Maybe it won't. I do think there's a big opportunity there. Joey, if you're listening, next gen. Joe, not Joey. No, Joe, if you're listening. Joe, hey, Joe, if you're listening. I call, I've been calling him Joe for years. I, like, hey, you know, it's either sliced bread or Joe. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see if it catches on. I'm telling you, big opportunity. We got. We can have new stickers. We could have new keychains. We could have new. He can have new. It does got nothing to do with me. He get. I mean, commission. You get a commission because you came up with the name. Probably not. He still might invite me over for a steak occasionally. But other than that, man, seize the opportunity. Next gen Joe. We'll see if he does it. What What else we got? This is the first round. Uh, <laughs> this is the first. This is the first race in the round of eight. It's going to be super exciting, man. I, I do, really do think. That this this season, you know, Fox's tab that tagline leading to this 
the end of the season is the best season yet. You can make a case for it. I mean, the numbers continue to improve on TV, on social engagements, you know, with the excitement around this next-gen car. I really do think that, you know, new ownership, this has been one of the greatest NASCAR seasons ever. There's a buzz in the garage and in the industry that I haven't experienced around the sport in a long time, where it's almost like people are excited to get to the racetrack. They're excited to see the events on the weekend. It's just this, this feeling that things are trending up and they're only going to get better. I think that coincides with kind of the, the opportunities that fans can come out to the track. I think the fans are embracing the sport even more than they had because they realized watching it on TV is different than going to see it at the racetrack. And the turnout has been great each and every place we've been to. It was a good turnout at the Roval. I'm sure it's going to be a great turnout here at Texas this weekend. So I, it's going, man. Uh, NASCAR is, you know, for arguably a decade, was on a little bit of a decline in terms of just numbers and money kind of flowing through the sport and maybe just overall excitement. But that ship has turned completely around. I mean, I think... Earlier in the year on the podcast, we were talking about how to make NASCAR cool again. You know, we've got Pitbull coming to the track. We have freaking James Bond at the racetrack, guys. Like, I got a selfie with him. Doesn't get much cooler than that. It does not get any, it literally does not get any cooler than that because Daniel Craig is probably the most recognizable guy on the planet right now. I mean, who, who more? Dwayne Johnson? He is in the top five of most recognizable people right now, and he was at the freaking Roval this weekend, man. So like NASCAR is getting cool again. Write it down. Next gen car, next gen Joe going to the moon.